Okay, so if you want to flip to Leviticus 18, we're actually not going to read right away. I'm going to do something a little bit unique tonight, but you can turn to Leviticus 18. Um, and I'm going to actually do a little intro before we read. So I don't, maybe this is just me. Maybe it's not, but are you guys like kind of tired of like the drama in just the world right now? Just, the, just like our culture, I'm personally, I'm personally and I like confrontation, and it's like kind of exciting. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like just whatever news you look at, just the headlines are just like, this person did this. It's like hardly news anymore. It's just they did this, and I can't believe they did that. And uh, it, I don't know, it just feels like nobody's at all listening. All we're doing is just like, if you look at, everyone's just looking at their favorite news and like, yeah, like no one's listening to each other. It feels like there's just two sides just arguing. People are protesting, then the other people are protesting, the people protesting. Um, Maybe you're only tired of one side, which means you're maybe part of the problem, but no problem. Uh, But aren't you, I am tired of having only two sides. That's how I feel. I'm tired of having two sides. Like you are either on this side or this side. That's it. Those are your two options. It's Fox News or CNN. Pick your, you know, home team. That's it. That's all you got. I would, enough to the point where I'm like, I would, I just want to start a news organization and our only goal is to like not be that way. But I probably have, you know, I'd, I'd ruin it all still too. So I'm like, I'm a little tired of it personally. Um, are you guys tired of it? Is it just me, honestly? Like, honestly, you guys tired? Is anybody not tired of it? Is anyone like, just bring it on? This is exciting. <laughs> a couple head nods. That's cool. Um, so, like, this sermon in general in Leviticus is actually really timely. Who knew that when Moses wrote Leviticus 3,000 years ago, it would be helpful to us in 2017 and all of our political drama, but it will be very, very helpful to us tonight. Um, and like, maybe your, your questions are like, okay, yeah, these are, these are the two sides. And like, maybe there's some things I agree with in both sides, but like, which of the sides agrees most with Jesus? Maybe you've like been feeling that way, like, okay, maybe the like classic, what would Jesus do? Whose side would he be on? What would Jesus' new site be? Um, and, and we just kind of like tend to just think of like which side, um, does Jesus care more about the rights of women or does he care more about the rights of unborn babies, right? Like, oh no, I don't know. Uh, does Jesus care more about the rights of refugees and immigrants or does he care more about the rights of just legal citizens? Uh, and I just want to say, like, I feel that I asked that question personally, like, did Jesus make those two options for us? Did Jesus say, these are your options, guys. You need to pick a side. Like, babies are women? Like, what? We have to pick between babies and women? I have to pick between babies and women? Like, I have a wife. I guess I'd pick women. But, like, that's, you know, like, really, we have to make those decisions? Is that what Jesus is asking of me? Or is that just what the world and the culture and the noise and, like, that's, that's what's being asked of me? And this is interesting. I just I think it's helpful, before we get into it, to just take an honest self-assessment, like, okay, what is shaping my opinions on this? Like, what's shaping me, honestly? Like, what's influencing me? Is it, uh, like, how I was raised? Like, maybe that's still, like, I was raised this way around these people and these types of thinking. That your 20s are kind of when you tend to be like, I was raised this way, so I now like thinking this way because then I feel like I thought for myself, right? But listen, when you have kids, guess what they're going to do? Oh, yeah, like, my parents raised me this way, but, like, I'm this way. So, so like, what's shaping the way that you think? 
Because it may not be anything more profound than like you were raised that way or you're just rebelling against how you were raised. Like think about that. Um, and in this tension of these annoying, crazy, like high drama issues, uh, we have Leviticus. Praise God. And um, in these next three chapters, Leviticus 18, 19, and 20, there are three ideas. There's three big ideas. It's cool. I don't, God did it that way. And there's just literally, there are three ideas in these next three chapters. But it's not clean. It's not like 18 is this, 19 is this, 20 is this. It's like all three of these things are like woven into 18, 19, and 20. So uh, the three issues are this. It's how do we think as Jesus followers reading Leviticus? How do we think about culture? It's like, what's going on the world? How do we think about sex? And how do we think about justice, like, like social justice? How do we think about culture, sex, and justice? That's, you could boil all of these next three chapters down to culture, sex, and justice. Um, and, and this is cool. Like, as we read these three chapters, I guarantee you, there are going to be things you're like, yeah. And then there will be things you're like, oh, that sounds like not what I would like. I guarantee you, I don't, like I don't care who you are, you will be challenged in one of these three areas, culture, sex, and justice. And um, here's like the big picture for the next three weeks, okay? You're gonna find as we study these three chapters that you're called to be more conservative than the conservatives. You're called to be more liberal than the liberals at the same time. Like if you're being faithful to Jesus, you're not gonna really fit in with the conservatives. You're not actually gonna fit in with the liberals. If you do, let me say, it's not Jesus you're following. You're following something else. Something else is your flag because Jesus is gonna be radically conservative and radically liberal. And that's just, he's gonna, sorry, but he's gonna offend you in many different ways. And so tonight, we're looking at the issue of culture. Next week is the issue of sex, That'll be a good one. And then the one after that is justice. And this is kind of how I, we're breaking it up. The issue of culture is in all three chapters. The issue of sex is in all three chapters. Justice is in all three chapters. So we're going to read every single verse, but like in chunks, okay? So tonight, we're going to read all the verses that talk about culture. Next week, we're going to read all the verses that talk about sex. And then the next week, we're going to talk about all the verses that talk about justice. So it's going to feel a little bit like we're jumping around, but we'll cover everything. So um, I think we have the verses up the, on the screen, actually. They're getting fancy, I think, right? No? Oh, yeah, here it is. Can you guys see that? Yeah? Can anybody not see that? It's good, right? Yeah? Uh, okay, so here are our verses for culture. So even like if you're taking notes or just want to remember, I think this is going to be up for a while. So... These verses in 18, these verses in 19, these verses in 20. The Christian and culture. So I'm going to read these verses straight through, and then we will pray and get started. I'm reading from the ESV. This would be kind of hard for me. This is, next, this is advanced level Bible reading. Um, okay, let's try and do this. Leviticus 18, 1 through 5. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to look at my notes. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. Excuse me. 
I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Then we're going to jump ahead to verse 24 of 18. Do not make for yourselves, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you for the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you, t- when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nations that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who does them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Now we're gonna jump ahead to chapter 19. We're gonna start at verse 19. God says, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your, this is a funny one, cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. Skip ahead to verse 23. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Some of you getting nervous. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Now chapter 20, the last little bit, 22 to 27. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I'm driving you out before you for they did all these things and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourself detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me for I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. A man or woman who is a medium or necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us real quick. Jesus, thank you for Leviticus. Thank you for your instructions that 
though were, were written thousands of years ago, are for today. This is your word. This is the word of God. It is living and active. It's authoritative over our life. And ultimately, it just points us back to Jesus. And so we ask the Holy Spirit, you would keep us awake. You would clear our minds. Um, just prepare us, Lord, for areas that you're going to challenge us, areas you're going to offend us, areas you're going to encourage us. Um, we just submit to you and your word, Lord. That's all we're doing right now. May I be faithful to your word and add nothing else of my own or, or take anything away, God. Give me boldness to speak what you have spoken. Thank you for these, uh, this group that came to sit at your feet tonight, Jesus. Would you bless them? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So all of this, this big issue of culture and Christians and like this is Leviticus though and like does it really apply to me today because... Am I not allowed to round off my beard or my temples uh, like, or tattoos? Like, does this really have something to say? And I just want to remind us, there's a, there's a foundation to all of this, to all these questions. There's a foundation to cultural engagement, okay? To how do I think about engaging with the world and with culture and with non-Christians and with rounded beards? There is a foundation to it all. And it's this. God himself. What are you saying, Bo? Uh, You may have noticed over and over again, the Lord was saying, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. He actually said it, we just, he says it 26 times in these three chapters. Like, okay, I get the point. I am the Lord your God. He says it 26 times. Like, what's the point? What is he doing? Why is he doing this? Okay, and here's a little metaphor. Um, Let's say you need to go somewhere. For example, I need to engage culture, right? I need to get to this location. Uh, and you have a map and you have a compass. You don't have a smartphone. This is old school. Map and a compass. Some of you are like, I'm, that's, I'm literally useless already. But pretend you kind of know about a map and a compass. You have, let's say you have a guide with you, okay? You have a guide. They have a map and a compass. And, and they, they know the map and they know the compass. But here's the thing. You were blindfolded in the car and drove for an hour and then dropped off. And they say, okay, now you need to get to LA. Listen, if you don't know where you are, the compass is actually useless. That's true. If you don't know where you are, the map is actually useless. If you don't have a starting point, a reference point for like, where am I? It's not gonna be helpful. North, okay, north is that way. Yeah, but you could be on the North Pole and north is that way. You don't know where you are or where to go. So when, when we're trying to like figure out complicated things, navigate complicated things, you need a starting point. You need a reference point that everything else builds on. And when we think about engaging culture, guess what your reference point is? It's God himself, the character and nature of God. This may be a little confusing, but this, we'll get to this. So 26 times God says, I am the Lord your God. So therefore do this. I'm the Lord your God. Therefore don't do this. I am the Lord your God. Therefore do this. So a couple points here. What, what is, why is this foundation for engaging my culture? It's this. Number one, all of these commandments that we read come with authority behind them. Okay, this is really important. They come with authority. They, they, this isn't just like someone's good ideas. This isn't just the, the laws of the universe. There's authority behind them, okay? Um, if you ever listen to Reality San Francisco's podcasts, uh, which you should, they're good. Um, Francis Chan just preached up there. And he said, this is a big statement. He said, okay, if there was one verse 
for our generation. That's us, right? Our generation. There's one verse we need to get, meaning we don't get it. Meaning this is, if you could just get this, if we could just get this, what verse would that be? And the verse is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And I'm going to read it for you. It's a little like, it's going to be hard. It's the verse we don't get well. God is speaking and he's saying this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So big picture, God is God and his ways are higher. And listen, that means like, we're not going to understand them all the time. That means we're not even going to agree with them. That means they're going to seem crazy. Like, God, what are you saying? And his answer is often this. I'm God. That's all I have to say. Yeah, God, but doesn't, wouldn't this make more sense? All his answer is, is I am God. I'm God. Like, that's enough. That's all I'm going to say. I am God. A reminder there is like, I, you, we are not God. We are little human beings who live for a very short amount of time, who have been shaped by our culture, and God is God. He's been around longer than us. He's wiser than us. He's giving us the air we're breathing. Like, God is God. And there will be times when we're like, God, okay, but listen, I know something about my culture. And I think it would be better, God, if I think think people would be willing to accept you if you just took this advice from me. And what does God say to that nice idea we have? He says, I'm the Lord. That's it. I'm the Lord. Therefore, obey me, essentially. Yeah, God, but listen, I've been talking to people and I've been listening to the news and some people are offended by these things, God. And, and I want, you love them, right? And you want them to know you. So maybe we could just, let's just take some of these things out. Let's adjust it. Maybe let's figure out the, the cultural context at the time and why it doesn't mean what it means. And God just says, listen, I'm God. You need to trust me. And, and sometimes it won't make sense. Sometimes you're literally going to read this book and be like, this is insanity. This is crazy. This doesn't make sense. And God says, yeah, yep, that's right. I'm God. My ways are higher than your ways. And listen, that's just enough. But God is good enough to show us what he's like. And let me just testify, God is actually good. He's not just God, which is enough. He's actually good and gracious and loving and patient. And so, yes, we need to trust this because it's, it's God's word. But man, isn't it nice that like God is good and that he knows what is good for us and he knows how the world should work and shouldn't work? This authority, it's gnarly, but it's a good authority. It's not like, hey, I'm the president, so you need to listen to me. We're like, yeah, but I don't like you. It's not like that. God is good. He's perfect, actually. The Bible says there is no shadow of turning, which is some like cosmic way of saying anywhere you put a light on him, you can't get to the other side and like, look, there's a shadow. It doesn't happen. There's no shadows with God. He's perfect. Any way you look at him, any way you observe him, he is good. He is good. And so we're going to be challenged. We're not going to understand. Honestly, this doesn't all make sense to me when I think about my culture and wanting them to know and love Jesus. It doesn't make sense to me all the time. But 26 times, God reminds us, hey, just in case you forgot, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Don't do this. Don't round off your beard. What, God? 
I am the Lord your God. He just says that over and over and over again. And as we discuss sex and as we discuss justice, he's going to keep saying the same thing. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Um, And honestly, at the end of the day, do you want just your thoughts at the end of the day? Maybe Maybe it's nice to have God's thoughts, right? At the end of the day, think I'll go with the Lord's thoughts. So... With that as our foundation, our reference point, this is going to, okay, listen, I, I, know every, I know we're going to be offended. There's three points. Uh, it's a spectrum of offensiveness. You're going to be offended. Here they come. Number one, the three ways that Leviticus teaches us to engage with our culture. The first is this. We must recognize cultural evil. It's the first way we engage. We have to just recognize what it is. We have to call it what it is. One verse, 1825, God says, the land became unclean so that I am punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Okay, listen to these fun words God chose for culture. Iniquity, unclean, abominations, abominable customs, depravity, detestable. That's what God has to say about some of the things going on in the world. And uh, we need to be able to say that about something when it's wrong. So a couple of things listed here. Uh, remember, I don't know if you remember, God's talking about, hey, you don't kill your children. Don't sacrifice them to other gods. Uh, the god was Moloch. This is the saddest thing in the universe. Moloch was this statue that was, it had arms out like this. And they would heat it up to the point where it was hot. And then they would place their babies in its hands. And they would sacrifice their babies to the god of Moloch. That's how they killed their babies. Uh, they sought spiritual guidance from mediums and necromancers, which basically means the dead. They f- were able to conjure up something from dead beings and got guidance from them. They were radically sexual and moral. We're going to get to that next week. Uh, they oppressed the poor. They, they oppressed the disabled and the marginalized. We're going to get to that in two weeks. Just one of them is... You can't trip a blind person. God had to say that. Hey, you can't be tripping blind people. He had to say that. Uh, they stole from each other. They lied to one another. Their courts had no justice in them. And above all, this is my favorite, they rounded off their beards. Can you believe that they did this? And also, side note, that the hair thing and the tattoos and the, what was the other one? Cut yourself, that was specifically like how they worshiped their gods, thankfully. I mean, people will say you can't do all of those things together, but I think we can, Jesus freed us from that. We can have tattoos and shave our beards. Um, But all that to say, that was a gnarly culture. That was a gnarly culture. Jesus or Yahweh, God, was referring both to Egypt, where they came from, And he was referring to Canaan where like, I'm bringing you in. This nation is crazy. You need to be willing to call evil what it is. Okay, so now listen. In our country, we kill babies. In our country, we seek spiritual guidance apart from Jesus. In our country, we are radically sexually immoral. In our country, we we exploit human bodies sexually. In our country, we oppress the poor, we oppress the disabled, the marginalized, the refugees, and the immigrants. In our country, our corporations steal and lie and don't face justice. Like, this is actually us. This is us. Um, Now, here's the nice thing. 
God is really fair when he calls evil evil. He doesn't just hate the conservative evil and he doesn't just hate the liberal evil. He actually hates all evil. And he's calling all evil what it is. And you as a follower of Jesus need to call all evil evil. Not just your favorite evil evil. Not just the people over there. Like we need to be willing to call all the things in our culture that are evil, evil. Even if those people just drive you crazy, you need to be willing to call all things evil that is evil. And listen, we as Jesus followers will simply not fit in well with either side. Even you're going to have your preferences and your culture and your upbringing and your personality, but you're just not going to be able, you will only be able to go so far with either side. And then you're going to be standing looking around like, yeah, but we do this. Yeah, but this side over here. Yeah, but we do this evil. And, and listen, because this is, so here's a question. If you had to pick one, uh, March for Life or the Women's March? Week apart, which one do you go to? Which one do you go to? Everyone who is a human being is created in God's image. Everybody. Everyone is in the image of God. Equally in the image of God, we all have dignity and that must be affirmed. So listen, you probably care more about one of those two marches. And I say, fine. But listen, you have to learn to care about the other one. You have to learn to be able to care about the image of God in that group. And the image of God that that group is standing up for. You just have to. Both sides are standing up for some wrong things. The image of God has been wronged in both sides. And you need to be able to say, that's evil and that's evil. You just, you have to, no matter how much they annoy you. And listen, you need to be really careful about even like churches that are only caring about one issue. Like that's just not Jesus. Jesus actually cared about all human beings equally in the image of God. You need to be really careful about teachers who are only railing on one of those issues. You actually do. You need to be really careful that you're not just getting fed certain things without caring about the other evil out there. Jesus is for the image of God and the dignity of all humans. And so we too, as followers of him, need to be willing to call all evil, evil. Here's another uh, just fact. Um, In 1825, God says the land vomited out its inhabitants. What is, first of all, that's creative poetry of God. The land vomited out its inhabitants. What's he saying there? What he's saying is the land was so evil. The people in the land were so evil. The land itself just was sick. And it was like, I can't handle you anymore. And and every culture hits that breaking point where it just gets vomited out. Every culture that has ever existed has been vomited out. Every culture. Guess what? Our culture, the wonderful United States of America, if Jesus doesn't come back, it will be vomited out and replaced with something else. We too will be vomited out by the land. We too are evil. No culture lasts. Um, 10 years go by and like we look back and we're like, oh my gosh, 10 years ago, that We wore that 15 years ago. We wore that. We listened to that music. Like when I was in junior high, you guys, actually, okay, I normally don't do this, but I provided a picture. I'm going to humble myself before you all just to prove a point. This is Bo right here. That's me holding a baby with my puka shell necklace (laughs) and my Hawaiian shirt. 
And if you, if you look closely, I have bleach tips going on, you guys. I literally went to a salon where they bleached the tips of my hair. I didn't like bleach my hair and it grew out like, I was like, nah, I just want the tips. Yeah, that's nice. That's my dad to the left over there. Um, honestly, the only one that looks pretty cool is my grandpa, right? He kind of looks like, all right, he looks cool. Um, other than that, how about just t-shirts, tank tops tucked into jeans? You guys, this was like, like 13 years ago. This is 13 years ago. That's a young bow right there. So um, anyways, that's a nice little picture. Um, we can remove that forever from the universe. Um, listen, that was like 13 years of culture and like that. That's, that's what happens. 13 years of culture. Uh, cultures don't last. Our culture will not last. America will not last because at its core, it is full of evil people and it will be vomited out one day. And God says, I'm going to punish it for its iniquity. Our culture is going to be punished for its iniquity. And so listen, because our culture isn't going to last, listen, you can't base truth off of your culture. See how like that, that makes sense? Listen, if you lived in the 50s, you had an idea about how the world is supposed to be and marriage is supposed to be and where certain ethnicities places were in the world. 10 years go by, if you were getting, if you're a teenager then, a radically different culture. All of a sudden, you're way over here. And, and you guys, every generation just says this, just as this. And you just get to ride this pendulum and you feel like, no, I'm on the cutting edge of truth and the way things are. And your kids are going to be born and you're like, you are so lame, mom and dad, because like, this is the truth. And that's all we do, you guys. Culture changes. It doesn't last. And if you're going to base all of your worldviews and perspectives and truth about God based on what is popular at the moment, like, like good luck in 13 years. Seriously, 13 years go by. We think we're like progressing. And, and uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says there is nothing new under the sun. I know to you, it feels like you just figured out the universe and the pendulum's just gonna swing. So listen, don't base your truth and your perspectives and your beliefs based on like what's popular in social media and what's popular on your favorite news site and like what the teachers that you're listening to, like, listen, don't base your life off of those things. It's just culture and it will change. And your kids are going to think you're ridiculous. That's just the way it goes. There's a, a, a nice little example of this. A pastor, Tim Keller says, I'm going to like paraphrase it, but let's say you were a warrior, okay, a thousand years ago. And that was like your thing. Like I carry my sword around. I'm a warrior. And you're like going out to battle one day, and you're like getting all ready and putting on your gear and you look over to your friend and he's like in good shape. And you're like, dang, that guy's pretty good looking. At that time, this is what you did. Oh, that's not who I am though. That's not, I'm not, I'm not that way. That's not me. And then you go out to battle and a guy, you just see him and you just slaughter him. And you're like, yeah, that's who I am. I'm a warrior. Okay. Same, uh, take that same guy, but just a thousand years, put him today in the streets. Um, you look over at your friend, you're at the gym, pretty attractive. Listen, guess what culture says? That's who you are. That desire in you is your identity. That's who you are. Define everything based on that desire. Then you go out of the gym and you're driving and someone cuts you off on the freeway and you're like, I could kill that guy. And society says, that's not who you are. Don't embrace that. That's just a bad desire. You need to deny that one. Or you're like, you know, I think my ethnicity and race is better than theirs. Don't listen to that. That's racist. Don't listen to that. You see, 
everything changes based on the culture you live in. You cannot base your truth on what people around you say is true. And it's the same with the Bible, you guys. Listen, this thing has been equally offensive to all cultures throughout all times. And it is God's. And it remains true as it is. If we love what it says about social justice and we hate what it says about sex, you take this book to the Middle East, guess what? They love what it says about sex and they hate what it says about social justice. So which one is it? Which one is it? Listen, it's neither. It's this is God's word. I am the Lord, your God. This is true. And you will be offended at different times in different places. And so as Christians, we need to be willing to call evil, evil based on this book. We need to base it on this book. The second point Leviticus shows us about engaging our culture is this. It'll get a little easier. The second one's still kind of hard. Christians must engage in non-participation. That's a phrase some people have used. We must engage in non-participation. So I'm just going to read one verse, chapter 18, verse 3. If you have it open, it's great. It's in three points in that verse. God says, You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. You shall not walk in their statutes. If you want to follow Jesus, there will be areas where you don't do what the world does where you don't do what your culture is doing. Yes, everybody is doing it, like classic cliche. God says, you shall not do that. What they're doing, you're not gonna do. What they're doing, you're not gonna do. What this world values and says is normal is not our standard. We have a different one. When it comes to sex, little preview, we don't view sex and participate in sex the way our culture does. We just don't do as they do. In terms of justice, and oppression. We don't do what our culture does. We don't do what they do. We do what Jesus says. And there's, it's interesting. God says, don't be like Egypt where you came from. That Egypt was a symbol in the Bible of like your life in slavery, your life in sin before. For a Christian, what Egypt is, is before you knew Jesus. You are enslaved to your sin. That's Egypt, okay? Whenever the Old Testament and you're talking about Egypt coming up, that means that's before you knew Jesus. That's being like you were when you were in Egypt. Egypt is like this. Um, so it's like, it's like you're enslaved. Let's say you're literally chained to the floor in a jail cell. That's Egypt, okay? And Jesus says, I love you. And he comes and he like... I don't know how adventurous you want to do it, but I, I, won't, I just picture him being epic. Comes in, breaks the door down, rips off the chains, says, let's go, you're free. Come follow me. That's what Jesus did. You used to be in Egypt. If you follow Jesus, he did that for you. So now what God is saying is, listen, don't go back to your jail cell. Like how ridiculous is that? No, Jesus, this has been cool, but like I'm actually, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll see you in a couple of days and we go back to our jail cell and we close the door and we put the chains on and we just like hang out in our jail cell. Like, this is nice. That's what we do when we go back to our old ways. Like, that's ridiculous. And, and God's saying, really? Like, you want your chains back? Like, you want your slavery back? And there are times when following Jesus, it's like, man, it was kind of nice. Israel's like, we had meat pots. Like, I'm sick of this manna. This is gross. There will be times in your life where you will fantasize of what it was like before you were walking with Jesus. Like, we, we all do that. Oh, that, if only I could have done that then. And God's saying, don't do that. 
Don't go back to Egypt in your heart. Remember, you were a slave. You were a slave, and it was not good. It's hard to remember sometimes. But God says, don't go back to Egypt. And then he says, and I'm going to take you to this promised land. But it's so interesting. The way God did it is he took them into a land already inhabited by people. And this is crazy, but God was like, I'm going to drive them out because they're evil. And you, bit by bit, I'm going to drive them out. But you're going to be surrounded by them. And you're going to be really tempted when you look around at the way they do things. And he's saying, don't do what they do. I want you to look at me and my word and what I've said. This is life. And you're going to look around and they're going to be doing these things. And it's going to seem attractive, but don't do what they do. And it's crazy just when we get surrounded, when we get surrounded enough with enough anti-Jesus, it really does seem normal. It just does. And it seems better. It just does. And you guys, this is like, maybe you've heard this your whole life, but like it really matters what you surround yourself with and what you consume and what TV shows you watch and what websites, because it's just surrounding your mind with this is what is good and this is what is normal. The stupidest things we do is because like, oh yeah, that's what everyone's doing. When I was 13 years old, I smoked an entire pack of cigarettes in one sitting and I have severe asthma. And I was like, this is cool. This is where it's at. And I smoked, just sucked it down. And you guys, the next day, I honestly almost died. And I couldn't even tell like my mom, like, why are you dying? I was just so embarrassed. And I didn't realize it at first. And me and my friend were like going on our Razor scooters to a friend's house. So we get, this is true, 13, you're 13. No shame. Like, what else are you going to do? I guess a bike. So we're on our Razor scooters. And like 30 seconds in, it was just like, and I was like, I'm going to die. And I almost had an asthma attack. It was illogical. It wasn't enjoyable. It was just what it was cool to do in that moment. Listen, we, almost, we literally almost kill ourselves when we just do what seems normal. Like in, in Leviticus, he's like, you're going to see how they do sex. Don't do that. You're going to see how they treat the poor. Don't do that. You're even going to do food differently. You're going to do dress differently. You're going to dress differently. You're going to view work differently and rest differently. And then here's, here's a gnarly one. He says, you shall not, you shall not turn to witchcraft when you want answers and you want leading. And I'm going to bring that one up for a second because on the one hand, we're like, that's kind of crazy and extreme and I don't really like go to witchcraft that often. Like, is that really a big deal? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. But listen, here's the idea behind witchcraft. The, what's so bad about witchcraft is this. It's, yeah, God has spoken, but like, that's not good enough. I need information from someone who really knows. I need to get some better information. I need information on someone on the inside. And so what we're saying is, God, you're the God of the universe, but I want to go to dead people and figure out the way things really are. Like, do you see what that's saying? It's saying, God, I don't trust you in your word, in your ways, though you're the God of the universe who created all things. I trust dead people. But listen, it sounds absurd, but we do that every single day. We do that. Yes, God, I know you've spoken, but like, do you really know what's best? Because when I turn over here and when I read this book and when I talk to this person, it seems like they have more answers than what you have. You guys, at its core, like that's honestly, that's just like witchcraft. God, I just don't know if this is enough. I need better information. I need inside information. That literally may be like, it may just be the internet. What is, how am I really supposed to think about and do and like view sex? 
do you know what? Yeah, like, I want inside information. As, as if the guy who created it wouldn't have something to say. He literally wrote a whole book of the Bible on it. It's pretty awesome. But like, no, I want to, view, I want to figure it out some way else. And then even like, when I look at whatever it is on social media, like this is life as it should be. That's, that right there, if I could just get that, that is life to the full. Because that is just like witchcraft. Yeah, God, I know what you've said, but I want something else. And I have a hard question. What if the goal of your life actually isn't to just be comfortable and make money and be successful? Like, what if that's not actually what life is about? Isn't it crazy how absurd that sounds? What if the goal of your life is to actually, like, I'm going to give my life away, no matter what the cost to follow Jesus? What if that was actually normal? And, like, that's, that's normal. What if it's the goal of my life is I want to just be completely spent in, in following and serving and obeying Jesus? That's the goal of my life. I literally just want to be spent. What if, what if following Jesus means, like, I'm going to miss out on sex? I'm not saying it does mean that, but what if it means that? Like, are you okay with that? What if it's missing out on marriage? What if it's missing out on your dream job? What if life actually meant that for some of us? It may not be, but, but it may be. That may be more normal and more what Jesus is calling you to than everything else that the world is doing. But we just look around and we think that's what we're supposed to do. That's what it means to live life. That's success right there. Like, is that what we are doing? And God's saying, you shall not do as I do, as they do. And the third point in engaging our culture is this. This is the happy one. Christians must redemptively participate in their culture. Because listen, God loves the people in our culture. He actually loves them. They don't know him and they're living crazy, wicked lives and God loves them. He loves them. And his way of reaching them is Jesus followers. That's how he's gonna get to them. And so we don't just move out to the desert and get the world away from us and just follow Jesus. That's why we don't do that. God's actually used those people, but like that's not, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus into our culture. It, the early Christians got this. Maybe you guys have heard this or studied church history a little bit. Like early on when the Christians were just being persecuted and they were being killed, all of a sudden a plague would come and they didn't have like vaccines everybody starts dying. And the only way to survive is like move away. Just move away, run away till like the plague kills everyone in the city and then you can come back. And the Christians didn't leave. The Christians were like, no, I know where I'm gonna die, where I'm gonna be when I die. I'm gonna be with Jesus forever. So I'm gonna give my life. I'm just gonna stay and take care of people till I get sick and die. And they literally did that and literally died. And literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people got saved. Like, why are you still here taking care of me? Because Jesus loves you. And, I, and Jesus laid his life down for you and I'm gonna lay my life down for you. Because people have literally gone to countries and gotten speared to death because they wanna tell people about Jesus. Why would you do that? Because like this life isn't the end goal. Like I want these people to know about Jesus. I'll be willing to be speared to death. 
we're called to engage into our culture. And those are extreme examples. Listen, your culture is anywhere you go. Anywhere you go, your family, your school, your job, where you live, like God has placed you there to engage with those people. There's two really awesome biblical examples. They're classic. One of them was Daniel in the Old Testament. Remember Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den? He was captured from his home. So picture, just literally picture what would be a good country to get us? Australia, because they're mad at us right now. Australia comes across the ocean one day, just sneaks into California and just steals us all. And we wake up in Australia and we're like, what is happening? I'm in Australia. And they're saying things that don't make sense. And it's like, I think you're speaking English, but they're not. And it's like, where am I? Joanna would be stoked. And we'd just be in, in Australia. That's what happened to Daniel, actually. Like, he, that's what happened to him. And he was there. And listen, he did the full gamut. He, they were like, all right, listen, you have to eat these things. And Daniel's like, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Yahweh. And so he didn't do it. And then he was like, but I'm going to serve you and I'm going to be a participant in your culture and I want you to flourish. And as Daniel is doing these things and they're like, listen, you can't pray anymore, Daniel. He's like, I'm going to go pray the whole Daniel Lion's Den thing. Like he's like, I'm not going to do what they say that is wrong, but I'm going to be here and I'm going to be all in. And he served the wicked king. Then he gets his letter. And this is the other example from Jeremiah, which your favorite verse in the Bible, and it's for a good reason. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God's like, I know the plans I have for you, but that letter was written to all the people in Australia like, this sucks. That's actually what happened. Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles in Babylon at the time, and that's what that Jeremiah 29 is. It's a letter, and this is what Jeremiah says. He doesn't say, listen, kill them all and escape, and he doesn't say, just quit. And he doesn't say, just hide in your home and just pray and just wait till you die. This is what he says. He says, I want you to be in the city and I want you to build homes in the city and I want you to plant gardens in the city and I want you to like continue to marry and have kids in the city and I want you to seek the welfare of the city for in the welfare of that city, you will find your welfare. And that's a picture of exiles and how they're to live in the world. We Christians are exiles. We actually have another home. It's in heaven. We don't belong here, but we're here for a few years. And while we're here, we're gonna withhold from all the evil things. We're gonna be one to say, yeah, that's evil. And that's evil. We're gonna be willing to follow Jesus no matter what it says. And then we're gonna stay and bless our city and bless the people around us and love them and serve them and be gracious to them. The New Testament uses this example of your salt and light. Salt and light, what does that mean? Listen, salt is different than the food it's preserving, right? Yes, it's different. It's not meat, it's different. Salt, you're different than what you, than your surroundings, but salt brings light, it preserves, it adds flavor, it just makes things better. That's what we, you, are supposed to do. You're not supposed to be like, peace out, I hate all of you, you're crazy. We're supposed to be like, you're wrong, and you're actually wicked, and I'm going to stay and bless you and love you in Jesus' name. I'm going to be salt, and I'm going to be light, and I'm going to speak truth. And everyone's like, whoa, what is that? Like, that's, that's something different. Why do you taste and look like something different? And then we get to show them Jesus. We get to show them Jesus because we are in exile and we are called to stay and engage with our culture. 
So those are our three points. And and we're going to close with this. If you have your Bible, this is so good. In in chapter 18, verse 5, it says this. This is so good. God's summing up the first little section. He says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. This is what God is saying. He's saying, if you obey my commandments, if you actually do these things, it's going to bring you life. It's going to be life to you. He says, if a person does them, he shall live by them. They shall bring you life. Listen, if you obey the Bible, it will be good for you. Mind-blowing. If you obey God's commandments and don't do what the world does, but lay your life down in love for them, it will be life to the full. And if you fail, that this is also true. If you fail, you will experience death and decay. If you fail to do this, you will experience death and decay. So I have to ask a painful question. How's that going? How's that going for you? Have you been faithful to Jesus? Have you been faithful to his commandments? Have you withheld yourself from the evil things of this world? Are you salty? Are you different? Are you engaged in this world like Jesus was? Now listen, let me tell you the answer because I know it. It's no. We suck at this. It's hard. You haven't done it. You haven't obeyed. You have not obeyed. You have failed. You've been like the world. You haven't been salty. You've cheesed out. You haven't told people about Jesus. That's, that's who we are. Like Israel, who got these amazing commandments, they were probably like, oh, this is so good. Have you like read the rest of the Old Testament? They 100% failed. They failed. And we have failed to obey these commandments that bring us life. It's not even like do this hard thing. Like, it's like, do you want life? It's over here. And we say, God, no, I think life's over here. I think life is what these people are offering me. I think evil is actually, that's bad evil, but this evil, I'm okay with this evil. That's what we do. That's who we are, if we're honest. And listen, but there was one who entered this world, a different culture, and perfectly obeyed every single one of these commandments. And there was one who was surrounded by wickedness and sin and death and did not engage in a single sin. And there was one who he didn't sin, but he loved and accepted and cared for broken people all around him. And that perfect one ended his life on a cross to die for those of us who have fallen short at obeying these commandments. Like that's insanity actually, guys. It doesn't make any sense. We have failed. And Jesus says, I'll do it. And he was perfect. And then rather than this good job, Jesus, he ended his life being punished for your and my failure. For every time you said, I don't want life, I want death. I want my sin. For every time we're like, I'm not calling that evil. 
For every time we just chose the way of the world around us rather than God's commandments, Jesus says, I'll be punished for them. I'll take their death. I'll take their death. And if they come to me, they will find life. You guys, this is actually true. If you obeyed this book, it would be life. It would be awesome. It would be life. And, Jesus, and God even says, if you obey this book perfectly, you would have eternal life. That's true. That is true. Guess what though? We can't do that. We haven't pulled it off. And so God says, I will make another way for life. And it's not just obeying my commandments. I will die. And if they come to me, they will have life. That is the gospel. That is Jesus. We need to remember, yes, I'm supposed to do all these things, but we got to remember, I have fundamentally failed at these things and I had to be rescued by Jesus. I, you, were the world. Like we were the bad guys. We were the people who God was like, don't be like them. They're wicked. And they call good evil and evil good. That was you and me. None of us are Jewish, I don't think. Like that was us. We were the rebellious sinners. And God says, I'm coming for them. I'm gonna rescue them and I'm gonna obey God perfectly. And I'm gonna die in their place that they could have life. And I need to say this. Some of you hear these really good truths and think, okay, I got to get my act together because that's life. That's eternal life. When I, when I come to church, I got to obey all the right points because that's life. I, I need to tell you, you will only find death there. Life is in Jesus. Life, life comes when you admit I am a failure and I can't do it, God, and I need you. That is life. That's Jesus. And then when you come to him, something amazing happens. You get this new heart that actually starts to legitimately love this book. And you get filled with the spirit of God that actually gives you strength in the moment when you're like, do I be like the world or do I choose life? The spirit of God is like, hey, you can do it. Choose life. It'll be better for you. And then when we still don't choose life, even though we know better and we've been rescued and we choose death anyways, the spirit of God says, hey, remember the gospel. Remember the blood of Jesus. Hey, come back to me. Repent of that. Yeah, that was wrong. That was death. But the blood of Jesus has been shed for you. Come back to life. You can get up again. Now come and worship me and come follow me. And as we follow Jesus and the spirit in us, we slowly experience more life. That's called sanctification. We experience more life. We, we read this book and we actually learn to love what the commandments are. Hey, sometimes we don't love it and we just need to obey it and it'll be good for us. But there is a day coming when these commandments actually will be better and better and better. And they, you will experience more life in obeying these. And we only do that from this humble, redeemed place. Like, man, I have been rescued from my jail cell. And now I want to walk in life. And I want to show the world where life is. It's not in obeying, by the way, it's in Jesus. That's what I want to show the world. So listen, the last thing I have to say is you're sent out into the world. And listen, if you understand what Jesus has done, you will be the most gracious person in the universe. When those people over there offend you and are annoying to you, you remember, yeah, but like, I deserve death and Jesus came and forgave me. So I can forgive them. I can love them. I can be salt and light to them when they're annoying and they're not in my camp and they offend me. Like 
you have no moral high ground on the world. You, you don't. You have been rescued by grace. You have no moral high ground. And whenever Christians start like, the world needs to do this, like, we're not, we're not leaning on Jesus anymore. We're leaning on us and our goodness. Be like us. Like, we have no moral high ground. We have been rescued. We have been saved by the blood of Jesus. And so we go into the world. We say, that's evil, and my heart breaks over that. And that's evil, and my heart breaks over that. But I'm going to stay, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to be like Jesus. And so we're going to worship right now. And I know, because you're a human being, that we all have areas to repent of. We do. As Jesus followers, we've been choosing the world. We have been choosing the ways of the world. And, and I trust that the Holy Spirit has like, put his finger on a couple of those. And as we spend time in worship, uh, the first thing that Christians do is they repent. That's something Christians constantly do. I repent. Jesus, I see that. I am sorry. And then we remember the blood of Jesus. And, and repentance is like, I see it, and I'm turning from it, and I'm going the way of life. And thank you for your blood. And so that's something every Christian in here needs to do. Some of you guys may not even be Christians yet. Some of you may have, may have not committed to following Jesus. Just hear that. If you hear nothing else, forget about the whole 50 minutes that I just said. Remember Jesus. He loves you. Though you are unclean and wicked and have chosen your own ways, he loves you. And he died for you. That you could have life in him. And if that's you, if you're trying to figure that out, like, Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. Let's receive forgiveness together. Let's humble ourselves together because he is good. Uh, we have a couple practical things. We're going to have people up here on either side uh, just wanting to pray for you. So that could be like, man, I need to confess a sin because healing comes from that. It's like, man, I'm overwhelmed or I'm stressed or I just, it's cool if someone prays for me. Like you can come and get prayer, receive prayer. Uh, we have communion up here. We just, we know what that means. If you don't know what it means, it represents the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross and the blood that was poured out. So you take the bread, you dip it in. It's just reminding you that Jesus came to die for you. We have these carpets here because it's good to get on your face and on your knees and to worship. Um, Listen, and here's something that I'm really praying for, for us on Friday. We would begin to like start feeling freedom in worship. Like that literally means pretty much anything you could imagine. Like, if you need to dance, if you need to stand on your chair, I'll come talk to you if it's too much, but I guarantee it won't be. I pretty much can guarantee it. We're, we're, all, we're a little shy right now. So, like, go for it. Worship Jesus. He's worthy. A woman came while Jesus was at another guy's house, interrupted dinner, poured out, like, thousands of dollars. Like, that, that was pretty rude and random. And Jesus like, that's worship. Hey, if you can get to that point, if you, if you somehow get more weird than that, like, honestly, I'll talk to you. But we need to push ourselves to worship Jesus. He is worthy. He has came for sinners like you and me. So let's worship him. And the last thing, oh, sorry, two things. Um, I'm going to be hanging out in this area. I really do believe in 1 Corinthians. It says that the spirit moves and that he gives prophetic words during gatherings. So I'm going to be there. And if the spirit of God says something like, if you don't know what that means, it's like, why is this word or picture in my head and it won't go away and I just feel like it's from God? You can come talk to me. And that's something that is in the Bible also. Maybe it's weird to you, but that's there. And the last thing I would say is this. You guys feel free to pray for one another. Um, you maybe know each other, maybe you don't know each other. 
But church is not like coming to a show of religious professionals and like you get your things and you go like, the church is you guys. And you guys have gifts and anointing and compassion and you get to be like Jesus to one another. So pray for one another. What, usually what that means is one of you has to be humble enough to say, will you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. And then the other one's like, wow, I get to be like Jesus right now. This is fun. Like it blesses someone when you humble yourself and say, I need help. I need prayer. I need wisdom. So I'm gonna pray for us right now and then we're gonna rejoice that Jesus came and rescued us. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. Jesus, I pray that that it would sink down deep into us, that your ways are life. They bring life. To deny them is death. Jesus, remind us that life is found in you and in your word, ultimately in you, Jesus, and it's not found in the world. It's not found in what our world says is life. That's fleeting. It's not gonna last. It's gonna change. Jesus, thank you that we have this book from you, your word, that shows us truth. Thank you that this is from you, God, and you say, I am the Lord, your God, you are real, you are God. And so right now we humble ourselves before the King of Kings, the God of the universe. And we say, we love you and we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you've loved us when we were the world and you rescued us. So Holy Spirit, just come now, blow in this place. Teach us just to linger at your feet. Teach us to worship you. If, even if we don't know the song or we don't like the song, like help us get past those little things, Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus right now. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We worship you now.